Okay, so tonight we're going to be learning about art, science, and Torah, a new paradigm. So I'll start with a prophecy or prediction from the Zohar, which is taken from the verse in Parashat Noach, which talks about Noach being 600 years old at the time of the flood. So the Zohar says the following says in the 600th year of the 6th millennium the lower waters will burst forth and flood the earth and the upper waters will descend and also flood the earth in preparation for the messianic era this is what it says in the Zohar based on the idea that Noah was 600 years old. So here it was, it was making a prediction, or you could call it a prophecy, that in the 600th year of the 6th millennium this would occur. So first of all we have to understand when is the 600th year of the 6th millennium. So since we're in 5768 now, the 600th year of the 6th millennium was 168 years ago because we're in 768 now we're in 5768 so the year 5000 begins the 6th millennium just like when we reach year 6000 we'll be, begin, we'll be beginning the 7th millennium so the 600th year of the 6th millennium is 168 years ago 1840 and since the 600th year is the culmination, many people understand that, that it means from the 500th to the 600th year, which is 1740 to 1840. What are the lower waters in, in the Zohar? These are the waters of secular knowledge. What are the upper waters? The waters of Torah wisdom. The Zohar said that from both below and above these waters would come and flood the earth in preparation for the messianic era so we see from the lower waters of secular knowledge so from 1740 to 1840 was the industrial revolution in other words until the industrial revolution the physical infrastructure of the way people lived barely changed in thousands of years. People traveled on horses or donkeys or oxen in carriages or chariots and nothing really changed for thousands of years. Either you got light from candles or from olive oil or from kerosene they had a type of kerosene but nothing really changed but in those hundred years everything changed life on the planet and the lifestyle that we live as human beings changed dramatically after the industrial revolution so this led to trains the first uh, photography all in around the 1850s 
by the 1890s we had electricity 1904 I believe um, Kitty Hawk first airplane first cars came out in the early 1900s and then international plane fare and then in the 50s computers faxes emails people to the moon um, ships etc etc in other words since exactly what the Zohar predicted that in the 600th year the 6th millennium secular knowledge and, and that which it would give birth to which is technology has flooded the earth I mean quite literally so now we talk about a, a global village and it's very real uh, a, a good example of this is how all of these things have come together and this has happened a number of times in the last five years if let's say at 10 o'clock in Tokyo giving the difference of times but at 10 o'clock in Tokyo the stock market falls 3% within 24 hours markets all over the world will react sometimes within minutes in other words if it's in the same time zone within minutes right if let's say the, the, the German stock market falls within minutes the English French Israeli you know it's just as the world has become so integrated on the economic level that, that it's incredible and because of television so also when news breaks now just everyone knows about within minutes what used to take months or years let's say there was an earthquake in China in 1480 it could take 10 or 20 years before people actually heard it let's say it was a huge earthquake tens of thousands of people died could be that people in America or your first they most likely would never hear about it ever in their whole lifetime and if they heard about it it could be a decade later it could be two decades later now it's within 10 seconds there's an earthquake in China within 10 seconds it's on all, all the news all the internet radio, TV, you name it so the Zohar was, was, was very correct the earth has been flooded by secular knowledge so what happened from the upper waters the upper waters was the Baal Shem Tov the Baal Shem Tov lives in that period and he his among many great accomplishments and contributions is he opened up the door to a secret wisdom that had been hidden away for virtually all of Jewish history and he opened up this wisdom to everyone and so therefore now you can go into a a Jewish bookstore and see translations of all the Kabbalistic texts 
and scores and scores and scores and scores of books about Kabbalah and subjects that would never have been reached and now you have a tremendous interest uh, even among non-Jews in Kabbalah worldwide so here is the upper waters flooding the world and the lower waters but the key to this whole thing is in preparation for the messianic era that's the key to this whole thing that is to understand that all these technological revolutions and communications revolutions medical these are were seen and predicted as being an intrinsic part of the messianic era so therefore we see from the Zohar that the name of the game here is unification is being able to take the lower waters and the upper waters and to unify them in preparation for the messianic era because both of these waters are needed and so therefore we see that this is a fulfillment of a basic Jewish principle that has been taught like forever and that's the idea of how physical and spiritual need to be unified so here we see in a general fashion that the lower waters represent physical accomplishment the upper waters represent holiness and purity and wisdom and they need to be integrated need to be unified and we know that this is one of the main understandings of what mitzvot are that mitzvot are an ongoing attempt to unify the physical and spiritual worlds and we see in science itself that unification is the goal in a sense of all science now since Einstein proposed what's called the unified field theory that the four forces of the universe are all in in essence united so all of science has been seeking this theory but the most important thing is that all of science has accepted that it's true all the science has accepted that all four major forces of the physical universe have to be unified now they're just trying to figure out how to do it they've actually unified three of the four already in, in, in the laboratory and in mathematics and they only have to uh, unify gravity with the other, other three so we see that uh, what we call the, the unified field theory is Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad that God is one that has always been from a spiritual point of view what all of reality is about now we're told from science that this is also from a physical point of view that oneness is the underlying theme of reality it is the fabric of reality and so therefore to prepare for the messianic era 
entails a unification of physical and spiritual and secular knowledge and Torah wisdom. So around a hundred years ago, we saw a, the beginning of a realization that this is what needed to be done, and that it was called Derech Torah the Derech Eretz. It was a movement in, in primarily Germany that uh, Rabbi Raphael Shemshon Hirsch was instrumental in, and others. But around 120 years ago, right at the beginning of the Zionist movement, there was a parallel movement called Torah V'derech Meaning that now that the, the ghetto walls have come down, it'll have a bigger and better home. Right? And it won't be such a ghetto, it'll be open to the whole world. Not that it was enough now, but it won't have the connotation of being a ghetto, it'll be harchavatadat. And so here the idea was that now that the ghetto walls have come down, and Jews really for the first time in, in history had a opening to we'll call it normative society. So there were problems. The Enlightenment, a lot, the, the beginning of assimilation and intermarriage. But on the other hand, there were, there were people who were true to their Torah tradition who also wanted to operate within the strictures of the host society. So this phrase, Torah and that one could be a, a Torah loyal Jew and also have a profession, work in the, in the society. From that movement, Yeshiva University was born and Bar Ilan University was born and Turo College. So, so there, these universities were formed with the specific goal of allowing uh, Orthodox Jews a way to preserve their Orthodoxy in a safe environment, but also to learn all of the disciplines of the world, all of the professions of the world. And of course, this was a, a tremendous uh, breakthrough. I mean, the, the truth is, as we go into this further, the sages were truly an embodiment of the unification of secular knowledge and Torah wisdom. Because when you read through the, the, the Mishnah and the Gemara, where every subject under the sun is discussed, every subject under the sun, every practical matter having to do with living was discussed and the the wisdom and the, the knowledge of the sages was, was astounding because they couldn't rule uh, just give you an example that that all the members of the Sanhedrin on top of having to speak all these different languages they had to know all witchcraft, sorcery, black magic, and all these other things, so that when they would have to judge cases of, of, of 
of idol worship and and all all these variant things that were not supposed to be doing, but they had to know them inside out to be able to judge it. That's just an example of everything across the board. The sages had to know agriculture. They had to know economics. They had to know um, uh, business. They had to know medical. They had to know medical. Everything on this list. Yeah, they had to know everything. So they were actually a very good example of well-rounded people. But what's happening now is we'll see, see that with all of the contributions that Shiva University, Bar Ilan, Turo have made, that there's still a dichotomy there. In other words, when you go to these institutions, I know that there are exceptions, the way certain teachers teach your courses. But there are there's Limu de Kodesh and there's Limu de Ho. In other words there's learning Torah and then you learn your psychology, law, medicine, uh, social work, economics, political science, whatever it is. And it's under the same roof, but there's not a total integration. So what we're going to be looking at tonight is a concept from Rob Ginsburg that he calls the Torah University or the Torah Academy where there would be a new paradigm of the way secular knowledge is taught. And that is not just under the same roof, but within each discipline, within each profession, each type of knowledge, the, the curriculum would uh, mirror a total unification of the best of Torah wisdom and secular knowledge. Now we see that it's actually happening already in a very, very big way. If you go back to the same Jewish bookstores that have all of these Kabbalistic texts uh, translated and explained, you'll see now on the shelf books about everything under the sun and Torah or and Kabbalah, psychology and Torah, mathematics and Torah. Uh, political science and Torah, art and Torah, Torah slash Kabbalah. So you'll see on the bookshelf now, across the line, that people are doing it. People are unifying the best of both worlds. So the idea is really just to go, the next step is instead of individual books, is to actually create a new paradigm and the, the vision here is uh, a, a university that would actually create a curriculum where everything that is taught at a regular university will be taught but in a new way in a totally unified uh, way of Torah and secular together, including Kabbalah and Hasidut and all these subjects. So what we're going to do now is we're, we're going to look through uh, relatively quickly um, 
the charts that I've passed out where we see before ourselves all of the secular knowledges are arranged in a paradigm according to the spherot and so the following what I'm going to say is, is a beautiful example of taking a model and being able to use it to explain a broad spectrum of, of ideas so just like in let's say in biology the model that is used is the genetic code the DNA, the chromosomes, the genes and that becomes the the model through which all of biology is mirrored through. For a physicist, the model are atoms and molecules and these four forces that we talked about and elements. And so in, in Kabbalah, the model is the tenth spherot. Now, as through the tenth spherot, we can see uh, everything. And I got a beautiful understanding of this in Chicago. We went to the Museum of Science and Industry. And they had a whole section on Internet. And even though, you know, a number of times it's crossed my mind that it would be good to understand, like, how does the Internet actually work? I never accomplished that. I mean, I, I use the Internet literally around the clock almost all of my work is, is through email and but and I'm using all of this technology and I, I have absolutely not the vaguest idea like how does it work almost our whole world is we we know how to take advantage of things that we don't have any idea what they are Electricity. Yeah, not only that, but I mean, science itself doesn't really understand electricity. We've le learned to channel it and harness it, but to really explain the electromagnetic field and what light really is, it's a little enigma. So, anyways, the one thing I did know, I did know and it fascinated me is that all of the communications that happen through computers is based on the binary system which are just zeros and ones and I went to this whole exhibition and I began to understand how everything is put into smaller and smaller uh, packets of uh, lower denominations so you have uh, single bytes and then you have ten bytes equals this and a thousand equals that and a, and a million equals that and a billion equals that but when it gets down to it there are zeros and ones and I remember when I did the book with Rob Ginsburg on the Olive Bed. So there's an idea that the, the word emuna, faith, 
which begins with an Aleph, can be read Aleph Monet. The, the letter Aleph counts. And he explains in the book that all of reality are, is just an, an, almost an endless series of Alephs. In other words, even according to mathematics, and Rob Ginsburg is a mathematician, what is three? One plus one plus one. That is what three is. What is a billion? One plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one. So when I went through the, the, this exhibition, it actually broke it down like that. It actually explained that when you send an email, it's so many bytes. And those bytes are actually um, consist, it's like a television screen. You look at an image and you, and you walk towards the television, you get closer and closer and then you like, put your head against the television and you just see that it's, it's dots, individual dots whirling around. And then you walk back and you see the image is basically individual dots that form a image. You can see this in the art galleries also with uh, impressionist art, points of points of them, right? You stand from a distance and it's like it's very realistic, and you walk closer and closer, and you're amazed to see that it's just the whole picture is made up of individual dots. So all of reality, it's all working on the same principle. So why am I bringing all this up? Because it's the same thing with the spherot. You look at the spherot and you say, there's, okay, there's ten spherot. How can you tell me that it, it can represent all of reality? But if the entire communications uh, revolution is based on zeros and ones, then we can, it, 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 it cemented for me this idea how the, um, the same thing with the genetic code. The, the genetic code is, is much more uh, complex than the 10 spheroes, but still in its magnitude it is relatively simple combinations of individual proteins that are making up the whole code. So it's the same thing about the spherot. So that's why Rod Ginsburg uses the spherot to explain everything. Doesn't matter. And I've been at co- conferences on chemistry, biology, um, um, homeopathy, quantum physics, psychology, economics medicine, and then everything in the Torah itself can be explained according to the Ten Sirot. The other models are the 22 letters and the four-letter name of God. Those are the three major models that reflect all the reality. The name of God, the letters, and the Sirot. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through the Sirot and, and see how all of secular knowledge can be arranged according to the spirit. 
and why those disciplines relate to those spheros. Now the first thing to notice is that even though we talk about ten spheros, when you count Dat and Ketra you have eleven, and according to Kabbalah, um, the highest of the Sirot has three levels to it. So when you put those together, there are actually 13 inner dimensions of 10 outer Sirot. So why it's significant is because 13 is the gematria of Echad, which means one. So therefore, when you use the spherot according to the 13 inner dimensions, okay, if, you, if you look, there's 10 spherot. But usually when you count the highest one, Ketra, you don't count Dat. When you count Dat, you don't count Ketra. That's why let's say Chabad, they count Dat, but they don't count Ketra. And that's to maintain the number 10. That's what it says in Sefer Yitzhak. It says 10 and not 9, 10 and not 11. To, to show us the importance, because number 10 is such an important number that the tradition is that there are 10 spheroes, even though there's really 11. Because when you count one, you don't count the other. Because Ketcher and Dat are considered mirror images of each other an inner and outer dimension of the same energy so when we talk here we're talking on a very superficial level because each one has all ten aspects in it so when you add the three from Keter so then you have thirteen and thirteen is a Chad so therefore it becomes such a great paradigm to show unity to show oneness and how things come together. Okay, so we'll start at the, the top and we'll, we'll work our way down. So remember, this idea here is, is to take all Torah and secular knowledge and to unify them. And yet, each one has its primary emphasis. That's why you have these schools now that are called interdisciplinary. In other words, it used to be, let's say you studied, if you're a history major, so after you did all of your basic requirements, then you just studied history. But now the way in certain places they study history is like, you can't really study, you can't really understand history without understanding political science. And you can't really understand history without anthropology. And so therefore, all of a sudden, um, all these disciplines come together in a constellation in order to give us a broader understanding. So that's what this is really. This is an interdisciplinary uh, model, and yet each sphere has its primary understanding. So the three aspects of Ketcher, the crown which represent the supraconscious. We have faith, Torah, and art. 
So our first question is, what is there to learn about faith? Doesn't faith mean that you have faith or you don't have faith? What is there to learn about it? So that is not a Jewish understanding. That the way we can understand this is from the Shema. In the Shema, there are two letters that are written big. Which ones are they? Ayin and Dalad. Right, the Ayin of Shema is big, and the Dalad of Echad is big. And so everyone points out that that spells aid, witness, to tell us that the mission of the Jewish people is to be the witnesses of God's oneness in the world. But most people don't bother reading it the other way. Dalad Ayin spells down. No. So here you have a profound understanding here because Shema is what is usually referred to as the cardinal principle of faith in the Torah. And yet you have these two letters that spell no sticking out to tell us that in Torah faith is not blind, illogical, emotional faith. Faith is based on knowledge. There's a beautiful allusion to this in, in the name Adam. Allah stands for Emuna, faith. The Dalit stands for Dat. And the Mem stands for Maaseh, action. So we're told that the holistic, integrated person is one who takes their faith and predicates it on knowledge and then puts it into action. That's a, that's a very beautiful understanding of Adha. Faith, knowledge, and action. There's a Muna, Dat, and Maase. So in other words, the learning about faith is learning how to how to base our faith on that which we know to be true. And Amuna is also considered the highest level of the soul. But isn't Amuna separated from knowledge? I don't believe that this table is here. I know that this table is here. You believe in something you don't see. You believe something that you, that you don't necessarily know. Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I believe in Israel. Okay, so Israel is there. I see it. But not everyone believes in Israel. Not everyone believes in the importance of Israel or that it should even exist or that it exists for a certain reason for a certain purpose in other words there are I mean I hear what you're saying I hear what you're saying but usually when we say faith too many people think of blind faith right. it has, it's like and it's almost irrational now there is a level of faith that, that transcends knowledge that's for sure now there are things like, let's say, God himself, or the soul, 
where the Talmud itself says you, you can't see God and yet my our faith in God is not a blind faith it's, it's the deepest confirmation of everything I believe to be true and not just believe that I, that I know is true so like for example how do we know that Abraham existed so an archaeologist will come to you and say Abraham didn't exist so you, you ask him why he says because we didn't find any proof that it existed so I would tell him well you didn't look hard enough and maybe if you look a little more but I believe that he existed but I don't know that he existed but that's also we, we, that we have Torah but, but I'm saying in terms of physical necessarily proof you're talking about empirical right. that's a problem right that's not yeah. so so uh, sometimes beyond not, uh, maybe no, the idea of you should yeah. unify both yeah. of them and then like you like in this definition one leads to the other and but sometimes faith here you said that, that faith predicated on knowledge but sometimes knowledge is predicated on faith sometimes sometimes sometimes, yeah. before. sometimes yes but but usually in other words let's say go back to the Shema that's how we started this so so if someone asks do you believe in one God yes I believe in one God why do you believe in one God my parents told me um, I'm supposed to it's expected of me whatever but when we say we believe in one God it's because there's some total of everything that we know to be true is, is the basis of our faith the basis of our faith so I, I hear what you're saying I'm not, I'm not disagreeing um, truthfully anytime you try to present something like this and you go really quick through so you're going to be talking in, in great generalities but the idea of this Adam being faith, knowledge and action is to try to show the, the connection with, with faith and, and knowledge that's, that's, what, that's what we say after the Shema we say um uh, emet viamuna. Well, emet truth we, we mean empirical truth. And the next thing we say is amuna. So they can't be like two opposite things. Mm-hmm. But that which I believe has to be connected to what I, I know is true. Mm-hmm. So that's the point. Yes, there is a, there are certain levels of faith that transcends logic altogether, and it's something that we cannot explain, and, and it's something that is not empirical, and is not seen. And but but what is that faith? That faith is a translation of everything I hold to be true. And in, in, in my words, that I know to be true. But this could be a whole, mm-hmm. a whole discussion. And the level of the soul, emuna, is the bridge between God 
and the sun. Now, Amuna is the divine spark in the soul. That's what Amuna represents. It's the highest level of soul. It's actually like the bridge between God and man is what's called Amuna in the soul. It is where, where God and man actually touch. Okay, then we have Torah. And the question is, why is it by what's called Ta'anuk? The three levels of Keter are Amuna, faith, pleasure, and will. So this is the, the, the song we sing every, every Shabbos night. Well, we sing the tune to Kol Makadashvi. But Rav Shlomo made it up to Lulei Taracha Sha'ashu'ai. And if your Torah wasn't my greatest source of pleasure, Azavadati, Ba'oni, then I would be lost in in my my poorness, my uh, impoverishment. And there's no uh, poor person except one who's uh, poor in that knowledge. So here we see Torah um, is connected with the highest level of pleasure in the soul. And we should know that from the crown, all the other ones emanate. And so, t- uh, this level of pleasure is called the source of wisdom, of Chachma. Again, much that we could say about this. And then we get to art. So art, it makes sense that it's in the supraconscious level of the soul, because the place of art and music and architecture and painting and all creativity comes from is from the highest levels of the soul super conscious and you'll see if you look at the Hebrew that the word for art umanut comes directly from emuna so therefore when a person creates their creation is a reflection or manifestation of their deepest faith and that faith is based, like we said, on what the deepest truth within our beings. So we create that, that, that song or that poem or that painting that reflects the most inner part of our being but now it's reflected in the outer physical world and this is a whole class in itself about Torah and art but that will have to come to a different time and, th- and then we go to the three intellectual spirit. so what we did so far faith, Torah and art are all coming from the super conscious level of reality or the soul and then we have wisdom understanding and knowledge so wisdom is represented by mathematics because it's considered the purest 
of all the sciences is mathematics. And in fact, in most science is based on mathematics. You get into uh, chemistry, physics, astronomy, biology. They're all based on mathematical principles. Okay, there's so much to say about this with gematria and what are called the, the Torah codes that they're putting the Torah through the computer now and seeing astounding, amazing inner codes within inner codes within inner codes. But they're all mathematically based. And then Bina are, is called all the natural sciences. Is it, the way Bina is explained in the Gemara is lahavin devar betoch devar to understand one thing within another thing. So all of the the physical sciences, whether it's chemistry, biology, physics, uh, is trying to understand our universe and what makes it tick. And all of that depends on understanding what lies below the surface. Because now we understand that if you look at a human being, you have to understand that the whole cellular structure. If you look at the physical universe, you have to understand the whole atomic structure. So it's, and now within the atom are worlds and worlds of, of subatomic particles. And within the particles there are other particles and charges and everything is not being devar devar. And then in knowledge this is psychology. And this goes back to Eitz Hadat Tovara, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, where you see in that story of good and evil, you see the psychology and the existential reality of all humankind. It's interesting that the psych- psychology is connected to Dat. Because that is considered the bridge between the subconscious and the intellect and the lower sphere, which are the emotions. And psychology is in the middle channel. So you see the beauty here, because what is psychology, really, is, is learning to balance all of the myriad forces and factors in our lives our intellect and our emotions our conscious and our subconscious our uh, nature and nurture so here how you see how psychology is right in the middle of the and that's why I said that, that the eights of Dad Tovara was in the middle of the garden. Okay, so now we've completed the superconscious and the intellect. And then we go to the bottom seven. Like I said, we're just really this is a whole seminar to really understand this. But the next one's a very obvious one that Chesed 
relates to all the social sciences. Because people who go into the social sciences, it's usually because, not, not that someone who goes into medicine, let's say, isn't, or psychology, but the social sciences is you like, want to help people. You want to be involved with people on like, their level to help them. So people go into the social sciences with that in mind. The next one is very obvious. Gevura, might, has to do with law. Right? Gevura always has to do with, with law and order. Gevura is a very positive thing. Sometimes people hear chesed and gevura, and they think chesed is good and gevura is bad. That's totally not correct. Gevura is just as positive as chesed. So here, gevura represents law. In the universe, it represents the laws of nature. If we had no laws of nature, well, we would just spin out of this room in like two seconds flat, and in about one minute we'd be on the other side of the Milky Way if there weren't laws of the universe. So laws of the universe and physical laws are very positive and needed. Then, also in the middle, right below uh, dot, which is psychology, is Tiferet, beauty. So Tiferet has to do with medicine. And a beautiful hint to this is if you look at Tiferet, you'll see the root letters of, of Refuah in Tiferet. And again, medicine is in the middle, which teaches us, uh, and Western medicine, which seems at least to ignore this in, in, in the rush to use the technology of the last hundred years to advance medicine, which it has done phenomenally, but forgot that all ancient peoples understood that balance was the key to good health. Each society or culture calls it different things. But the Rambam himself, he says it over and over again. The secret to good health is just the middle of the road. You don't eat too much. You don't eat too little. You don't get too much sun. You don't get too little sun. You don't get too much sleep. You don't get too little sleep. <laughs> Rambam said just, just everything in balance and you'll be healthy. So then we go to Netzach. Netzach, here it's... it's translated as victory, but Netzach means also eternal. And so the way it's understood is that true education is not how many facts you can amass, but how many eternal values you can give over. So that's why Chinuch is always connected to Netzach. It has to do with eternal values. That, that's true, true education is, and a true educator is giving over eternal values and eternal truths facts are also important it goes without saying but, but as I think we all know um, the difference between a, those teachers that gave over to us something that will never leave us and those courses that we got an A in. We got an A plus in. 
and six months later we don't remember really, we really don't remember anything because we just memorized things to pass the test we didn't really learn anything next spirit is Hod why is economics connected with Hod so Hod means many things here it's written thanksgiving it means glory it means praise but it also means acknowledgement Lahodot and Vidui well praise itself is acknowledgement the acknowledgement of Hod is an economic system is based on a whole series of uh, written and unwritten acknowledgements as to the proper way in which to do business in other words, the way that business is talked about in the Torah is ethical. Is like ethical. In fact, we're told that after we leave this world, we're going to be asked four preliminary questions when we get to our, our judgment. And the very first one is, did you conduct business honestly? Really? That's the first. Before, before they ask you, did you learn Torah? Did you keep mitzvah? Did you daven? Did you uh, even did you do Mansin Tove? The first question they asked: Did you do business honestly? So that's why it has to do with Hod, is because it, like I said, it's based on these unwritten acknowledgments. There's written ones you can't steal. You have to have uh, honest weights. But we're actually told that. Uh, the stealing that was going on at the time of Noah was actually little things. People were, yeah, people were like okay with the big things, but all the little things, everyone was like like cutting all the corners. Then we come to Yisod Foundation, and this is connected to the communication sciences. And the reason for this is that. As you may know, Yisod is always connected to sexuality and the, uh, the sexual organs and that the two aspects that connect with communications here is in the ideal sense. Ideal sense, sexuality means intimacy. And intimacy means communicating one's inside to someone else's inside in a physical level but in a spiritual level that the physical act becomes a manifestation of an intimate relationship right? you, have to, you have to have that connection for your communication to work on the other level is that in a biological sense that giving birth is the deepest communication of one's being is to give birth to uh, someone in your image so that's the connection here with communication is that that sexuality represents the ultimate in physical and spiritual communication and then the last one is fairly obvious that Malkut kingdom has to do with political science and as I said each one of these would be a whole class
class. And in fact, Rob Ginsburg has whole books about each, almost each one of these. He has a book on the rectification of the state of Israel. It's called a, a political platform based on Kabbalah. He has a whole book on education. He has a whole book on economics. He has a whole book on psychology. And onwards and onwards. And so we're going to just tie this together now. Okay, so now that we've looked at this whole chart, the idea is is really to create a new paradigm of how we learn basically everything. In other words, everything should be through what we'll call Torah-colored glasses. Just like if you put on rose-colored glasses, the whole world is rosy. <laughs> That's what you see. So the idea here is, is that we should learn to have Torah-colored glasses. And the truth is, I have no doubt that at some point a institution like this will arise. I have absolutely no doubt about it. Because the, the, the individual parts are there already. As I said, if you walk into a store, you'll see the individual parts. It's just that no one has put it together as a paradigm, as a institution. And we know that just like Yeshiva University cracked an old mode and presented a way that one could be uh, Torah true and in totally in this world as well. So a paradigm like this will will arise, but it will be it will represent the the messianic era because that's how we started this whole thing is that the unification of Torah wisdom and secular knowledge is that which will help bring us to the messianic era and in the messianic era then it will become a natural state of affairs and everyone will see all the connections we'll see how it's all unified and all one so we should be blessed to play our part in this and the way we can play our part in this is just, just around this table there are people in all these different avenues of I say, there's music, there's medicine, there's architecture, there's there's education, psychology, sociology, social sciences, just all around one table. Not just about our interests, but our actual professions. And so therefore the more people who really think about this and speak about it, and within their profession like architecture is the Mishkan. In other words, to take the Mishkan and delve into it and also the, the, the construction of the temple and to delve into this and see the principles underlying how the Mishkan was made and how it's the microcosm of the macrocosm and the the correspondences and the relationships between the, the, the various vessels and the different parts it could be a whole incredible incredible thing and each one in their own profession to, to learn to take 
some total of Torah wisdom this includes the inner wisdom of Kabbalah and Hasidut and unite it with the best of secular knowledge and present it to one's fellow workers or people in the same field as a new way uh, to see the world so we should all have this blessing and we should all see Yemot and Mashiach that all this will be totally natural